Well, it's good to be back with you. Hebrews chapter 12. I'm sure this is not a foreign passage to you, that you probably are fully aware of it and have studied or heard messages preached on it. But I felt led to preach on this this morning. I believe it's a very pertinent passage for the hour in which we're living and what we're facing. The writer of Hebrews, be it Paul or whoever it was, said, Wherefore, seeing we, are, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God, or the right hand of the throne of God. And then verse 3, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your own minds. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text and this passage of scripture. And Lord, I believe it takes on even more meaning uh, as we look at it today and what we're facing in our country and have been facing. And Lord, how we need to keep our focus, our attention, our concentration on the one who went before us and all that he endured. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So Lord, would you bless this message today? Help it to be an encouragement and help to us spiritually and to increase and help us in our faith. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Went to uh, West Virginia in 2019, uh, May 1st, 2019. Had no idea I'd ever be back in West Virginia. I never pastored in my home state, but uh, we went back. And that uh, winter, one of the men in the church uh, asked me if I would like to have a couple of tickets to a West Virginia basketball game. Well, what do you think I said? Are you kidding? I'll take them. He has... Uh, See, uh, he has uh, season tickets, and he said that you can have two seats, so uh, and take whoever you want. Well, I got my brother-in-law. My brother has his own season tickets, but he sits up in the nosebleed section. We were five rows back from where the team sits, so we had uh, ringside seats. But as we sat in that uh, that uh, coliseum. You look at that floor with those teams out there playing. West Virginia did win, by the way. But anyway. You uh, sit there and you look at all that crowd, thousands of people surrounding. And they're observers, they're watching. And of course they're rooting for their team, right? The picture we have here is the Lord is giving us a picture. Now in chapter 11, he's given us a lot of illustrations of men and women who walked by faith. Will you go back to chapter 10 for a moment and look at verse 38. Here the writer quotes from an Old Testament passage, uh, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. And he says, Now the just shall live by faith. The Apostle Paul uses that quote himself twice. He uses it in Romans chapter 1, verse 17. He uses it again in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 11. It is a very strategic verse. The just, those who are saved, those who are the righteous, are to live by faith. That's not a good suggestion, young people. That's to be the life of the Christian. It's to be a life of faith. 
And so in chapter 11, he gives you several illustrations by name, and then there's a lot of them mentioned that are unnamed. But then he brings us back to this matter in chapter 12. Wherefore, seeing we are also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, all those who have gone before us. I want you to look at verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Looking, 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 always looking. But the question is, what are you looking at? And what are you looking for? Because this word here is talking about a look that is not just seeing something. It's talking about a look that is an intentional, purposeful decision to fix one's gaze one's mind on someone. In other words, to concentrate on this person, to focus on this person. Folks, we're living in days, you better keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We get unsettled. We've watched what happened last year. We were right in the middle of the mix with all of this that's going on. And God's people have got to keep their focus where it belongs and their attention where it belongs. The Lord Jesus never changes, amen? The same yesterday, today, forever. He's never going to leave us. He's promised that in chapter 13 of Hebrews where he said, uh, let your conversation, your life be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So he's with us through all of the that we've gone through. And folks, what we don't know we're going to go through yet, we have no idea what we're facing yet, what we might have to go through as Christians. But you can bank on this. He's with you, and he's never going to leave you. You can trust him. You can depend on him. He's there with you all of the time. Now, I want you to look at verse 1. We see here, I believe, the motivation for looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, first of all, wherefore, seeing you also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. So there are those believers who've gone on before us, a great cloud of them, it says. Uh, It's a picture of people, lots of people. Uh, We don't know the number, but it is a large amount. It expresses, this word expresses a great number, Um, millions of them at least, millions of them. It also expresses the idea of the unity of those people. They all are, were people of faith. But notice what he brings up. He said, now, knowing this, let us lay aside a couple of things. The first thing he says, let's lay aside the weight, the weight that, that holds us back. The weight is something that is cumbersome. It can be a hindrance. It can hold you back from doing what you ought to be doing. It can keep you from uh, being focused on what you ought to be focused on. And he says to lay that thing aside. And the idea is here, put it aside, put it away. Like taking off the robe to run. In those days, when they got ready to run, uh, they would either tie it up or they would take it off. If they were athletes and, and playing in the games, running, whatever, they would take it off. And get anything off of them that would keep them from running with all they had to run. Uh, It was Alexander the Great in his campaign as he was moving toward Persia. Uh, At one critical point, it appeared that his troops might just lose the battle. And uh, the soldiers had taken so much plunder 
from all their previous campaigns that they had become weighted down and they were losing their effectiveness in combat. So Alexander immediately commanded that they take all those spoils, heap them in a pile and burn them, which they did. Well, the soldiers, the men complained bitterly, but they soon realized something. When they got rid of all of that weight that they were carrying, someone said it was as if wings had been given to them and they walked brightly or lightly again and victory was assured. Weights, you have any weights in your life? That's not sin. It very well could become that, but it's something that's holding you down, something that's cumbering you that maybe you need to get rid of. Uh, I, we led a man to the Lord at Glenford early in the, the, the church there. We'd started the church. This man was six foot six inches tall, and he was pretty heavy. And I had to baptize that guy, and I'm no ways near six foot six tall. He said, how'd you do that? I baptized him in a pond. And the pond had a, had a, 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 you know, going down into the pond. So I made him stand out there and I turned my back to the people. It's the only time I ever baptized backward to people. But I thought, I got to do this, so I've got to get him down to my level. So he stood out in the deep part. I stood up on the bank of the pond and we got her done. No problem. But he came to me one day in the office. And by the way, that was an interesting, uh, they visited our church and I went out to visit them. And we went through the gospel, how to be saved, but he wanted to argue. So about 1.30 in the morning, I thought, oh, there's enough of this. I said, look, we'll be praying for you and hope to we'll see you back in church. Gave him a tract to read. And I left and went home. Well, they showed up in church the next Sunday. And uh, he said, you know, after you left, we couldn't go to sleep. So at 3.30 in the morning, him and his wife got down by their bed and prayed and asked Christ to save them. Man, what a joy that was. But he came to my office one day and he said, Pastor, he said, uh, I have coon hounds. Now, this is a country boy. So he said, I have coon hounds and I like to coon hunt. Anybody know, if familiar with coon hunting? Uh, how many of you have actually coon hunted? Uh, that's a different ball game. Oh, you have, Alex has. I did it once and I decided right then and there I'd never do it again. <laughs> I'm not into coon hunting, but my brother had a coon hound, and so he came out, and Jim took me and my brother and my brother's coon hounds coon hunting. And it was a very windy night, and you're supposed to be listening for the dogs when they treat a coon. We couldn't hear the dogs. It was, the wind was blowing so hard, we actually lost the dogs, and we had to go home without them. So my brother had to stay with us till we, he got his dogs back. He finally got them back. But Jim came to me. He said, Pastor, do you think I ought to get rid of those dogs? Now, he was thinking about his living for Christ now. Should I get rid of them? I said, Jim, it's not a sin to have those dogs. But if those dogs come between you and the Lord and are a hindrance to you living for Christ, then I would say yes. But you're going to have to make that decision. Well, later on, he told me I sold my dogs. That told me he was a little serious about living for Christ. Amen. He put that weight aside. It wasn't a sin, but it was something he felt would hold him back from doing what he ought to be doing for Christ. So lay aside those weights. But then secondly, uh, the besetting sin. A besetting sin. What is that all about? Well, that word besetting is the idea of surrounding us, uh, ambushing us, or encircling us. 
something that keeps coming back, keeps coming up. And uh, God wants you to have victory over that sin. Lay it aside. Have victory over it. It can be dangerous, and it can be enduring, the idea here. So God is saying, all right, if you're going to run this race, because he pictures the life here as a race. The Apostle Paul did that back in 1 Corinthians chapter, 5, or chapter 9, picturing the Christian life as a race we're in. So he said, if you're going to run this race, you're going to have to lay aside the weight and that besetting sin, the sin which does so easily beset you, and then run this race. Run the race of the Christian life and run it with all you have. I like what Paul says about uh, when they ran the race, he that strives for the mastery, he is diligent, he's patient, he does it, he keeps at it because he wants to win the award, the crown at the end of the race. But he says to run this race with patience. The idea of patience is endurance, uh, not quitting, not letting up, not letting down. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 36. If you go back to the ch uh, chapter 10 again and look at verse 36. The writer said, For we have need of patience, that after we have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Patience, endurance. Young people, there's no place for quitting in the ministry. There's no place for quitting. God does, is not looking for quitters. He's looking for young people who will give their lives to Christ, give their lives to the work of the ministry, and stay with it. Are you going to have problems? Are you kidding me? Pastor and I both could talk about all the hardships, all the problems, all the disappointments, and the things you have in the ministry. But let me tell you something. I don't remember much about that. I remember all that God has done in the work of the ministry, the things, the miracles He's worked. The way he has blessed the souls that have gotten saved, the churches, how they've been built and established and growing and seeing people uh, saved and going into the ministry and so forth. I'd do it all over again. I might do a few things a little differently, but <laughs> I would do it all over again. Amen? You know, some people focus on the negatives. Look, there's too many positives to focus on the negatives. You focus on the negatives, you'll throw up your hands and quit. But God, there's so much good. There's so many things he does. And, and God put a burden on my heart about college and using what God has done in my life to invest it in the lives of others. Folks, that's what it's all about. Investment. This is about, in, in, about investing lives in lives and helping you young people to get a foundation and get uh, fixed so that you get out there when you're done here and get with the program and give your life to the ministry. I worked with interns for about 10 years at Glenford. I, I, we couldn't afford an assistant, so we would uh, use interns. And I would work with those young men. We'd meet every week, and we would talk about ministry. I'd give him assignments to do. But I just felt there's something missing here with some of these guys. What is it? And that's what God put a burden on my heart to work with young people in, in college. And I thought I would spend the rest of my life here. And uh, we spent five and a half years here helping with the college and it's, uh, getting it founded and so forth. But God put his hand on me to get back in the ministry. And so that's why I left. But uh, Pastor Van has asked me to come back and teach. 
And that's why I keep coming back. But I look at this as an investment. Uh, all that God has done in my life and all the education I've got is not just to have and to hold. It's to use. It's to invest and help other people. And I enjoy doing that. It's a, I've come a long way from what I was when I was a kid in the hollows of West Virginia. Uh, backward as a leaf in a windstorm. I didn't want to get up in front of people. I didn't really want to talk to strangers. I was one of those guys that we lived in a house and if a stranger come, I was at the corner of the house looking around to see who that was, if I wanted to run or go out and see him. But God did a work in my life. And he put me where I never thought I'd be, and that was pastoring a church. <laughs> there was something about pastoring. I just had a reservation that I, that's something I didn't think I could do. I'd teach. I would, yeah, I would love to teach, and I thought that's what I'd do all my life. But God put me in a place where I was starting a church with the feeling that I would start this church, somebody would take it, and I'd go teach in a Bible institute in the church that was sponsoring uh, the founding of this church that I was in. And then that all fell apart. Isn't it interesting, the best laid plans of mice and men, they say, what might have been? The pastor who had that church came to me a year later and said, uh, Bob, I'm leaving. And I thought, okay, so what am I supposed to do? Well, by that time, and this is my call to ministry, folks, I'm just telling you, it was a year of pastoring before I realized God wanted me to pastor. But I knew it. At the end of that year, I knew what he wanted me to do. And I've been doing it ever since. And um, I got over my backwardness to some degree. Uh, I still once in a while just like to get away and be alone. But uh, I enjoy people. I enjoy students. I enjoy teaching. God's done work. Let him have your life. You've already heard about that. Let God have your life. Give it to him. And watch what God will do with you. Amen? Be surrendered. Give your life to Him. And watch what God will do in your life. But learn to be patient. Patient. Second Peter 1.6, that's one of the things you're to add to your faith. Add to your faith, patience, endurance. Um, an old preacher by the name of Phillips Brooks was noted for poise and a quiet manner about him. Uh, but he had a tendency once in a while to get frustrated and get irritable. And one day he was in his office pacing back and forth and he was irritated, he was kind of frustrated and one of his friends saw him so he went in and said, uh, Dr. Phillips or Dr. Brooks, what, what's wrong? What, why are you pacing back and forth? And his reply was, he said, I'm in a hurry, but God isn't. Just remember that young people. God doesn't operate in your time, time frame. And God doesn't get in a hurry normally when he's doing something. You've got to learn to be patient. Right now you're in college. Some of you may be chomping at the bits to get out. Well, you just keep chomping and keep working and studying and preparing till you're done and ready to get out. Amen? And don't jump the ship. Get what you need to be getting right now. So we see the motivation to be looking to Jesus. But let's look at the mandate for looking. Look at verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The look. 
to look. The idea of that word looking means to look away from one thing and look away to another. So looking away from yourself, folks, it's not about you and it's not about me. It's about Jesus Christ. So looking away from self, looking away from the world by all means, the world is no friend. This world system is no friend to the believer. It's not a friend to the Christian. And looking away to Christ himself. The idea is looking steadfastly with intent, an intent look. Uh, fixing one's mind on him. Focusing on him. What's your focus throughout the day? What are you looking to throughout the day? Is he part of the day? Do you think about him? Do you call on him? Do you talk to him? The Lord Jesus Christ. So when you're looking to Christ, look to his life. One of the things that's really impressed me over the last two or three years is the life of Christ in the Gospels. And then we did a, a, a teen parent retreat here a couple years ago and uh, up at Oshkosh. And I preached on what God had been working my heart about. Looking at Jesus as the writer of Hebrews tells you to and talks about him in chapter 1 and gives you uh, attributes and characteristics of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then chapter 2, go back there for a moment. As he begins chapter 2, look what he says. He said, therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard lest at any time we should let them slip. For the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression disobedience received a just recompense of reward. How shall we escape? He's talking to Christians. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders, both with divers miracles, gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, something dawned on me. People say, wonder what the Father's like. Wonder what God the Father is like or looks like. Well, he's a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. But if you want to see the Father, my friend, look at Jesus Christ. What he's like. You're looking at him. Remember what Jesus said to them? Philip, show us the Father and it will satisfy us. He said, Philip, have I been so long with you? Do you not know? That if you've seen me, you have seen who? The Father. John 10, 1030. I and the Father are one. So young people, when you're reading the Gospels, look at what Jesus is like. How he talked, how he dealt with people, his compassion, his attributes. Watch him. That's what you and I are supposed to be like. He's our example. We're to follow in his step as he walked. We're supposed to walk. Look at him. Look to him. His life. Look at his ministry. Watch how he ministered. You'll learn a lot about ministry and how you're to carry on your ministry. Look at his cause. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And that's to be the focus of our life is winning people to Christ and discipling them. To become disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. But look at his cross. Look what he went through. For you. For me. For the whole world. Look at him. Look to the end. Would you look at Hebrews chapter 13 again. And look at verse 7. 
Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation, their life. And what is the end? Well, look at it. The next verse. Jesus Christ. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Look to Him. Be looking for Him. We're supposed to be looking for the Lord Jesus Christ to come. Amen? Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Keep looking. Get that gaze fixed. We're going somewhere, folks. we got a lot to look forward to. Amen? And this world, the older you get, take it from me, and your pastor will say the same thing. The older you get, the less luster, the less appeal this world has. I don't know about you, but I'm getting more and more to the place where I'm ready. Amen? Now, we don't go until God's done with us, but I believe Jesus is coming. Don't know when. We're not saying when, but I believe we're getting ready. I think things are being prepared. And I think it could be soon. We don't know. But we need to keep looking at him. Would you go to Hebrews 11 and go back for a moment? I want you to see two men here who had their gaze fixed in the right place. The first one was in chapter 11, verse 10, where the writer says about Abraham. As he's living his life, as he's sojourning in the land of promise, a strange land. He was a stranger in that land. But notice what the writer says about him. For he, Abraham, looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He had his focus and his concentration above this world, looking beyond this, amen, to something that's far greater and is going to be so much more blessed than what you have here. The second man was found later on in the chapter, and that is Moses. And this is an amazing statement about him. When you understand Moses' life, his birth, his being uh, cared for by his mother till he was weaned, maybe four or five years old, and then taken to the palace of Pharaoh. And he spends the next uh, rest of his life until 40 years in that environment. If you know anything about the Egyptian culture, if you've seen pictures or whatever, it was not the best place for a young man to grow up under the influences he was under. But you'll find out what he did. Look at verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was come two years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God that he to enjoy than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches for than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. Moses' focus, Moses' attention was beyond this world and this life. He was looking for what was coming and what he was going to receive. Amen? Still yet to get it, folks. It ought to encourage us. It ought to be exciting. We have a lot to look forward to. Amen? It ought to motivate you to be doing what you're supposed to be doing right now. And be consistent. Be faithful. Keep doing. It's required among stewards that a man be found faithful. 
God is looking for you to be faithful. But now he gives us the model to follow. That model is Jesus himself. Look at verse 3, or verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the Lord Jesus himself, the author, interesting word. The idea of that word is a pioneer. Uh, we live in, born and raised in West Virginia. I've often wondered, how did those guys get across those mountains when there were no roads? There were paths where Indians traveled and animals traveled. How did they get wagons across? And by, my, by the way, my wife's uh, great-grandmother came across those mountains in a wagon. Uh, to get through there was, was an astounding accomplishment. But what they did was they blazed the trails for others to follow. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ did, my friend. He came down here as a man. He was born as we're born. The only difference was the conception, miraculous conception. But he was born into this life just the same as you and I were. He went through childhood. He went through his elementary years. He went through his teenage years. And he became an adult. And at the age of 30, he started his ministry. When he was baptized, the Holy Spirit came upon him. Watch his life in the Gospels. He did what he did by the enabling power of the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. The same way you and I are to do it. Amen? Indwelled by the Spirit of God. Empowered by the Spirit of God. Enabled by the Spirit of God. In studying the Gospels and watching them, think, wow, if the Lord Jesus did it that way, that's the way we're supposed to be doing it and not in the flesh as we know, because God accepts nothing done in the flesh. The flesh cannot please Him. He was a pathfinder. He was a pioneer. He lived this life. And therefore, in in Hebrews 4.15, if you go back there, we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. My friend, there's somebody that can totally sympathize and empathize with you and me. His name is Jesus. He knows what it means to suffer. He knows what it means to be uh, attacked verbally, slandered, threatened, and then physically abused and tortured. He knows all about that. And if he allows us to go through that or wants us to go through that, he'll be right there with us to help us. How many ever watched the uh, movie on John Huss? Familiar with the story of John Huss? I know Brother uh, Swanson is, those of you who know history. But Huss was burned at the stake. The night before he was burned, they picture him sitting in the cell with a candle, trying to stick his finger in the fire to see what it would be like. But they say when they took him out, and they put him on that pile of wood, and tied him to the stake, he sang as he was consumed by the fire. You tell me, I've been on fire. I've been burned severely and probably should have died. And it is not something, young people, you want to go through. But I said, how can a man do that? There's only one way he could do it. The grace that God gives at that moment. What a testimony that had to be to those soldiers who tied him to that stake. To those men who despised him and hated him and wanted him destroyed. To watch him die that way. Amen? Amen. 
God's grace. And God gives that grace when it's needed and not before. So when you get into a situation like that, and again, we don't know what, not, don't know what we're facing, but the grace of God in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We have nothing to fear but fear itself. The model is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's gone this way before us. He has gone through life. He knows all about it. He can sympathize with you. And he can empathize with you. And he did it all with the dependence upon his Father and upon the Holy Spirit of God. So, look what it says about him as he was doing it. As he's going through this, he did it for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. He despised the shame of that cross. The idea of that word is it's a disgrace, despising it, to think down on it. He didn't enjoy the cross. What he did was looking forward to the joy of having gone through it of what was going to happen to him. And what happened was, look, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. My friend, we may have to go through a lot in this life, but the end is what we're looking for. Amen? The end. And that's why you're to keep your focus on it, your concentration on the Lord Jesus Christ. He will bring you through. Faithful is he who calleth you, who also will do it. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this very thing, who, he who hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ. You can rest assured. Amen? So whatever we have to go through, it doesn't matter. It's all for Him and for His sake. So notice in verse 3, consider Him. Consider Him. In other words, the idea here is reckon up with, count, meditate on the Lord. What He endured, He endured such contradiction of sinners against Him. And you consider Him when you have to go through some things, contradictions, people who threaten you, people who are against you, people who try to slander you, mock you, whatever they do, don't let it make you quit. He went through all of this. Read what he went through the night they arrested him. And most of the time, what did he say? Nothing. Most of the time, there was a few times he responded, because it was a time to respond, but most of the time, he said nothing. He took it. My friend, that takes grace, and that takes the help and enabling of the Spirit of Almighty God. He endured it patiently, those contradictions, speaking against him, the hostility toward him, the hatred toward him. So he said, look, consider him. Give some thought to him, what he went through. So when you're going through something, you don't grow weary, and you don't give up. You don't faint. You don't give in. You don't give up. You continue on and keep serving. Keep ministering. Keep going. We're not going to be done till we die or Jesus comes back and takes us out. And therefore, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, be ye steadfast. Be unmovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain. Amen? There's reward. 
And one day, maybe soon, we're going to have to face him. And we're going to have to give an account of what we've done. Not only what we've done, but the motivation behind it, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He looks at the heart. He looks at the motive for what you did. But he wants you to keep going. If you fail and you sin, you get right. You keep right every time. As soon as possible, get right with God, stay right with God, stay in fellowship with God. But don't you quit. Maybe you've heard this poem before, but let me read it to you anyway. I enjoy reading it. It has a lot of meaning to it. When things go wrong, as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high and you want to smile but you have to sigh, when care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Life is odd with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometimes learns. And many a failure turns about when he might have won had he stuck it out. Don't give up through the pa- though the pace seems slow. You might succeed with another blow. Often the goal is nearer than it seems to a faint and faltering man. Often the struggler has given up when he might have captured the victor's cup. And he learned too late when the night slipped down how close he was to the golden crown. Success is failure turned inside out, the silver tent of the clouds of doubt. And if you never can tell how you, and you never can tell how close you are, it may be near when it seems so far. So stick to the fight when your hardest hit. It's when things seem worse. You must not quit. Don't grow weary and faint, young people, what you're doing. You stick by the stuff. You keep pressing on. You keep living your life for Christ. You keep trusting Him and depending Him and depending upon the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. And let me tell you something. You can do it. Because Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the encouragement we have, the challenges we get from it, the instruction. God, help us to be faithful not just to learn this. Help us to be faithful applying it to our life. To be faithful until we're done. Or you come back to get us and take us home. In Jesus' name, amen.